Hey there, here's a quick note from me before we begin this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, Australia's top podcast for private and professional investors. Would you do me a favor and remember that all of the information you're about to hear is limited to general financial information only? It's not personal financial advice. Also keep in mind that me or any of the guests who appear on the show may have a financial interest in some of the products, and by that I mean shares, ETFs, or managed funds that are recommended or even suggested on the program. Finally, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance, no matter what the data scientists and investment bank marketing teams might have you believe. If you need any info on me or what we provide at Rask, a great place to start is our Financial Services Guide, or FSG. It's available on our website, and it's not as boring as it sounds. Okay, let's get on with the show. In this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, I chat with Adam Bronce, Director of Business Development at Castle Rock. Castle Rock is a funds management business specializing in property, in particular, office properties that are leased to government tenants. Castle Rock has just completed the purchase of a new property in Ipswich and is conducting a capital raising, which is what provided me an opportunity to talk with Adam. We cover a lot of new ground for investors, but this episode is for those who are interested in understanding how properties are valued and what professionals look for in large-scale deals. It's also a great episode for investors seeking alternative sources of income in a low interest rate environment. To begin, here's Adam explaining how he got started in property. To start off with, it it might surprise you to know, but uh, schooling wasn't sort of a big friend of mine. Mm -hmm. As much as I enjoyed school, I enjoyed more the social aspect of school. Yeah, right. Um, Getting to know people, having a good time. um, That was a big part of my sort of my growing up in school. And um, left school um, at the age of 17, finished year 12, uh, went in to do, um, and I quite enjoyed um, web developing for some reason. That just caught my eye and, and graphic design caught my eye for a long time. Um, and, and just started working in that space. Um, and then ended up, I remember going for a job as a sort of 19 year old, 20 year old web developer, graphic designer. And there would have been 40,000 people applying for this role and the job would have been for 35 grand. And I went, this is not for me. Like, yeah, you know, well, I'm not yeah. that, I'm not great in the space. I enjoy it, but you know, no, I've got yeah. some, some bigger things to, to do. So I thought, <laughs> I like people. What can I do? What kind of role? works with people. Um, and I thought, real estate agent, like, that's all they do. They just talk to people all day. They visit people, go to people's houses. They go, perfect. That's, I'll get into that. At the same time, my parents were starting the organization Castle Rock. Yeah. So I thought, well, whilst I'm, whilst I'm going and educating myself to become a real estate agent, I work for the family business. And back then it was mum, dad, another gent we had working with us back then. And, and I came along as an absolute brand new person to property, 19 years old. Hmm. Didn't know, I honestly didn't know what a vendor was, you know, like it was complete yeah. grassroots for me. Um, so I'm, I'm out there learning to become a real estate agent and um, one day Centrelink came to the market and said, we need a new office space in Victor Harbour in South Australia. And my old man looked at me and said, you need to go jump on a plane, <laughs> get into Victor Harbour, you need to find a site. Um, and I thought, no worries, like, you know, I can talk to people, 19-year-old, no worries, jump on a plane. Rock over there, found a site, convinced the person to sell it to us. We put a proposal to um, the government back in the day with, with Centrelink. Um, after a long while, ended up winning the winning the deal um, to build them a new office space and, and lease it to them. And uh, 
I thought, oh, you know, I actually really quite like this, you know, whole winning, going, traveling. Yeah. That was a big passion of mine back in the day and still is. Um, but traveling, winning deals, working with people, I go, this is great. Like the feeling is fantastic. Let's keep it, keep it running. Um, and, and from that, I thought, well, being a real estate agent was great, but let's stay here and let's really work on this, on this family business. And, um, Cast Rock just sort of started to grow from there. It was my role to get out there find opportunities um, to start to, to develop buildings mainly for government mm-hmm. um, and to to work with the construction team and deliver those assets hmm. um, so it was just a you know it was a really sort of interesting ride and, and and learning from day one you know my job was to fold the plans that were that were building the buildings and send them out put them in the envelopes and send them out so the life cycle of working from the absolute bottom all the way through to the organization's been, been, uh, terrific from, hmm. from my experience. Question for you. How did you decide on that very first property? How did you decide on that property for Centrelink? Do you remember? Um, it, it was, it was honestly just walking up and down the street. What, what is it that, that I could buy? I mean, there's only a certain area within towns where you can build office buildings. Um, so we've got the zoning map and I'm, I'm walking around going, can I buy that? Can I buy that? Can I buy that? Yeah. And, you know, and you get to one and go, oh, I reckon that one I could, I could possibly buy is an old shed on it. Um, it looks underutilized. Can we get in there and buy it? And, uh, and, and just had a crack. And I mean, there's many doors you knock on. Yeah. Um, but this was just the lucky one, I guess. Yeah. Right. Cause I can imagine the, the vendor at the time was thinking, who's this young fella <laughs> coming in the front door telling me that he wants to buy the place? Exactly. And, and they're the funny sort of conversations and difficult conversations that I don't, I, I enjoy having. It's sort of, it's a bit of a challenge. You're walking in there and you're going, hi, my name's Adam. I'm interested in buying a land. Yeah. And they go, where did you come from? Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and, and off the conversation starts from there. And it was great. You know, it was, they were great, great, um, a really good experience to go through that. Uh, and meanwhile, like I'm, I'm out there sort of working on these property deals, uh, and my old man's in the background going, okay, great. What are we going to do with all these deals once Adam wins them all? <laughs> um, and, and from that, the, the idea of setting up property funds and property trusts began. Um, yeah, right. it began in a very sort of simple way in, in just, We'd find a deal, we'd win it and syndicate the property. And all of a sudden we had little syndications of properties everywhere. Castle Rock still managed them as an organization, managing the building. Um, but we had all these sort of groups of investors everywhere. And we thought, hey, it wasn't my idea, it was my old man's idea, but hey, let's, let's bring them all into one. Mm-hmm. Um, and start, and start these property funds, which, you know, which was the beginning of probably about, well, 10 years ago now, 15 years ago. Can you explain, just just on that, can you explain the difference between property syndicates and having a trust? Is there a major difference? Like what are the benefits of being a syndicate versus having the trust? Um, Syndicates generally will be a single property um, syndication where you've got a group of people maybe put together by an accounting firm or a legal firm, um, anyone really, and and. That syndicate of people yep. would invest in that particular property. Um, the governance measures, you know, there's probably no board involved. There's no, there's probably a charter involved. Um, but when you start to move into the property fund space, it becomes a lot more, um, the, the governance levels are a lot higher. Mm. You've got a proper board that sits in there. Um, you've got a custody, you may, may or may not have a custodian depending on whether you're a retail fund or, or not. Um, and, and I guess the, Property funds have got the opportunity to have a lot of uh, properties in, in, inside the fund itself, not just the uh, not single. Not just a single one. No. Yeah, right. So, and that kind of leads us on to, I guess, Castle Rock um, and in particular the funds Could, because I believe that Centrelink deal was the first of many. That's right. right. Yeah. That's so, right. can you explain, is that 
Is that where the name Auslink comes from? It's it's a funny one. Yeah. Um, we the the first sort of major fund we started was called Oz White, um, and the <laughs> idea the idea was we had properties Australia wide, right? Yeah. So so <laughs> out came the name Oz White Property Fund, and and it was good. Like it was a great start to to that, and we and the partners we were working with probably didn't have um, the capabilities of raising the equity that we were we were wanting with all the projects that we were winning. Um, so we, we went out to, back to the market and we found some other um, equity partners to start working with. Mm. And we thought, well, we need a name. Yeah. Um, well, there's, and we're still winning these Centrelink deals. So Australia and Centrelink paste those two together and <laughs> out came the name Auslink. Okay. Um, and, and it was just really a function of the time that was, yeah. that was there. And, um, and so, so it became Auslink Property Trust. Yeah. Great. So, um, one more question on you before we move on to about Castle Rock and mm. that generally is what does a typical day look like for you now? Like it, it's a lot bigger than it was when you first started. Yeah. It was 2003 around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a lot bigger today. What do you do today? Like, are you still looking for properties? Are you still out there scouting, doing all that stuff? So my, my area of the business is still um, business development. So I'm out there looking for new opportunities every day. We've got a small team, um, development team and acquisitions team. Uh, we just engaged a new um, property analyst, which is fantastic. So we've got a growing team. Out there looking for new opportunities all the time, but but every day we've got sort of dealing with tenants, we've got dealing with facilities management, dealing with leases. Um, the team's growing, so you know finding new office space. Yeah, it's it's a growing it's a growing organisation, and just making sure we're all heading in the right direction. Yeah, cool. So, tell me about buying properties um, for Centrelink. Effectively, I feel like Centrelink would be a great tenant to have. If you're going to lease it to someone, you could lease it to Centrelink and be pretty confident that they're going to pay their, pay their dues, right? Yep. Yep. And, and the Osling Property Trust number one was a fantastic vehicle for that. Um, we invested in, um, 18 Centrelink offices located all throughout Australia and they've been fantastic assets and, and Centrelink are great. They, they'll, we'll develop a property or buy a property in places like Gundawindi or Broken Hill, yeah, at, right. at, you know, in the middle of nowhere places. But those, those assets, those buildings need to meet a very specific set of needs for, for the, uh, for Centrelink, for example. So it's got to have DDA accessible access. People in wheelchairs have got to be able to access it. Um, it's got to have a high neighbors four and a half star energy rating. It's important for the government. Um, they've got to have multitudes of uh, natural light and things happening at ground floor level. Public toilets and so forth. So they're really interesting asset, um, g- given that they're very bespoke in unusual places. So there's not many places in Broken Hill where you can have, no. um, you know, this this level of asset. So uh, they've been they've been really fantastic to work with, um, and it's great to you know, deliver properties in these regions that are well above. Um, so the, the the range of properties in in, in those towns. Mm. Do you, can you explain for myself and the listeners? the basic way that Castle Rock as a business grows. So how do you, you know, when we talk about property, trusts or funds, we talk about using leverage or debt. Um, we talk about buying the right assets. Like how have you guys been so successful over time? Whereas a lot of other property investors haven't. Yeah. What, how do you, what's kind of the some of the secret sauce? If you can share us <laughs> some <laughs> sure. secrets and wisdom. Yeah, honestly, I, I think we're, we're kind of this grassroots business who looks at property from, you know, from the foundations up, you know, cause we came from that construction, building, developing mentality. We look at these assets in our tenants, um, very closely and everything's managed in house. So we take a very, very keen right. eye over all of our assets. 
either with the, whether we've developed or whether we've purchased it, and we look at it, is this a good building? Like let's let's just start with that. Are we, are we buying a good asset? Is it a good building? Is the facilities in there suitable? How long are they going to last? Is there going to be much capital uh, expenditure going forward? All those things get reviewed before we before we look at buying buildings and obviously buying new ones or developing new ones. You've got a you've got an edge there, um, and then it's really about the tenant for us, working really closely with them to make sure that that asset stays up to standard, not letting it go, not not having lights out or you know the air conditioning not working, making sure that everything's spot on for them so that they've got no issues. There's no reason for them to to leave. I've heard that. Um you know, some funds will outsource management and, well, I know that they do. And effectively, like, there's the invest, investors and then there's the, the property man- management. Why do you keep it in-house? Like, what, what's the strategic advantage there for you doing both? I think it's that constant communication with our tenants. Yeah, right. And tenants are the ones that are paying the bills who sort of enable the, enable the investors to get their returns. Yeah. So making sure we're working really closely with them and managing that in-house is, is probably the best way that we can imagine doing it. Yeah. Um, so we're constantly having those communications. They're, they're dealing directly with us all the time. We're able to make decisions for the, for the tenants and for the investors pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because we've had that, that grassroots, um, knowledge base of these buildings, um, we're able to, to respond to any issues um, that, that, that may occur inside the office really quickly. Yeah. Does it also enable you, when you go to a property, and we'll get to one in a minute, when you go to a property and you think, oh, well, that could be done better, like do you see that as like a, a value add you know, in terms of IRR? Return for your investors is that yeah, kind of? Yeah. I feel like that would be yeah, absolutely, one. yeah, absolutely. If there's a if there's a way that we can enhance the building, increase the the rent, um, get better tenants in there, um, absolutely. And yeah. and and knowing that walking through that um, the, those assets for the first time, you can get a really good sense of you know, are we buying a good asset? Are we buying a good building? What else can we improve? Um, yeah, moving forward. Yeah, there is um, one thing that. Um, Listeners, we want listeners to be aware of is mm. the Auslink, um, probably trust number two, which is the, the bigger of the two funds. Correct. Yeah. And this, if, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only one that's open to retail investors as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And the catalyst for us doing the podcast today is you've bought a, a property in Ipswich. That's right. Can you tell us about that, that property? Just to, you know, what it is, um, why you bought it? Yep. Essentially, it's seventeen half thousand square meter facility, purpose built for Queensland state government. Um, part of a rejuvenation process of the Ipswich CBD, where um, you know government, local government saw an opportunity to revitalise the area. Doing that, consolidating office accommodation. They, I think they had a quite a um, bit of office accommodation all throughout the Ipswich CBD. So consolidating all that into one into one building um, and having a high quality asset. Government saw some some um, Great synergies in, in revitalizing the CBD for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to us through an off-market opportunity. We saw it. And we thought, yeah, this is this is really something we want to get stuck into. We've got assets currently leased to Queensland State Government in Townsville and Mackay as well. So it's again building on those relationships we've already got with the Queensland State Government. It's a well diversified asset as far as the government's concerned. They they lease ninety percent of the building. Um, NDIS are in there for a small portion and we've got some retail tenancies at ground floor level as well. Um, but, but their, uh, I guess their departmental mix in there is, is quite diverse too. So, so, um, it's got some, some good qualities from that aspect. Yeah. Right. How did you, so you said it was off market. Yeah. How did that 
come to you? Like, because so one of the things we talk about, right, as investors, is obviously how do you find ideas, and then we're primarily talking about the equity side. Mm. But how do you find them in? Because I, I doubt you were just happen to be walking in down Ipswich <laughs> Main Town that day. Like, how, how do they come to you, and how do you? You know, build that pipeline for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. You know, a lot of in the property in the property market is a lot of who you know. Yeah, right. And, and working, I think Castlebox established a, a, a reputation recently that if we're interested in an asset, we'll take our time getting to know it. Um, but as soon as we commit to it, um, we'll, we'll, we'll buy it. Yeah. Um, and we've shown that through the acquisition recently of the Wollongong ATO office, um, office building up in Townsville, an office building in, in Launceston as well. Yeah. Where we approached it, we go, is this something we want to get involved in? We can make those decisions pretty quickly in house. Go have a look at it, mm-hmm. get to know the building pretty quickly, and then go bang straight into DD and and be able to offer a um, unconditional offer to to the current owners. I think um, word starts to spread around the the property sector, and it's not big, um, mm-hmm. you know, not this size anyway. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Castle Rock are interested in a government lease asset, if you've got them, you know, then then you know, they're able to complete pretty quickly. When you said you do, you know, your DD, how, what do you, what goes into a building like that one in Ipswich? A lot. A lot. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of legal DD work that we do, everything from, of course, just combing through the leases that are in place at that point in time, what issues with the title, the planning application, making sure we've got the right, um, the right, um, insurance over the property as well. How well is it covered? Um, going through every section of the building, what level of services are there, do a technical due diligence report where we'll get people to check what life cycles left in any of the um, air conditioning equipment, electrical, mechanical services in the building, fire services in the building, so we can understand what CapEx works are coming up in the next five to ten years. Um, the same with lifts. So it's a, it's a full get to know the building um, mm. from top to bottom. Um, and then look at, look at the asset. Can we increase or improve the end of trip facilities, for example, to make it, um, a little bit more palatable for the tenants? What can we, what, what can we do inside there to make it better for them? Um, what neighbors rating, uh, has the building got? Is it performing well from an energy point of view and, and water consumption point of view? Um, solar, can we increase the, you know, the amount of mm. solar panels that are on the building? So, you know, it, it's, it's quite a detailed process, um, and one that we've established sort of over the years of, of not only building, but, but purchasing these, these types of assets. Um, and it's, a, yeah, it's a quite a detailed review. Mm. Because I imagine that if we think about, um, I guess a lot of people listening to this are investors in residential property, right? And they're doing their own DD on the properties that they buy. But I imagine this is quite a bit more sophisticated because it's obviously dependent on leases and yep. clients, like in terms of the government leasing those. Um, so it's a bit more sophisticated in that sense. Um, how about then, like, do you go, like, you obviously go there and you, you look around the building, you speak to people. Um, I think I heard you say in one podcast or mm. interview that you did recently, People, like a lot of people like me, right? I, like sometimes I get mm. cynical. I'm like, ah, that's not a great building because the cafe is not great or, or whatever, you know, downstairs. And I think about that ground level. Yeah. But I think you said in a, in a podcast that basically they're there to support who's ever upstairs, like to keep them entertained is effectively that's how you think about it. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. That is, that is the major client, the major tenant in that building is, is, you know, one of the most important things, um, for the asset. So making sure that they stay happy. Um, so looking at the cafes downstairs or, or what can we do to the building to improve it to make sure that they've got a really enjoyable experience coming to work. Yeah. Um, so, so we look at that. Um, you know, we're starting to now talk about implementing 
Christmas trees and things at the ground floor level and, you know, yeah, and, right. and, and having cool. sort of little, little events every now and then just to keep the tenants really engaged. Go, this is a great building. It's trying to build a really nice community, um, for, for the people working there. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't know if it was, I don't think it's this one, but mm. you said this was off market deal. That's correct. Do brokers play a role in the space that you operate in? Cause like we, again, people are familiar with real estate agents, um, selling them properties. Do they play a role in coming to you? And like, I, I imagine it's something like a sell side research for managed funds where you get brokers knocking your door to say, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Is yep. that what they do too? Like they know you and they say, Hey, Adam, what do you think about this? Yeah. Look, I mean, we get calls from real estate agents all the time. It's, it's, you know, you would be hard to move those, right? Yeah. Because yep. they're big assets. Yeah. And, 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 and the agents need to know that. If, if we take it to a particular purchaser, can they complete or, or are they just going to waste the vendor's time and therefore I'm not going to get a deal done? Yep. Um, but we are, I mean, that's part of being part of the, the market is, is knowing the people who to talk to and they can talk to us about potential assets. And I think a lot of the real estate agents know the types of assets we're looking for. Yeah. Um, long term income generating solid assets and, and a lot of it's regional too. Yeah. Um, we see a lot of value being in the regions where we've got a little bit better return. Sure, the capital in, um, may not increase as much as you do in the, in the CBDs, but certainly the cash return from the rental income um, is, is a bit higher in the regions. It's, uh, this is actually just jumping down a few things that I want to mm. talk to you about, but one of those is um, being having that regional focus. Do you think that's been an advantage to you since COVID's hit? I feel like almost in a way that's positioned you well to deal with that there's been a lot of talk working from home working close to home mm. well, we were just talking about it we were just talking about it um and i mean i've expressed that i'm not a big fan of working from home <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, i think it's well known inside our office that's for sure but yeah. um yeah I, I think it has i mean a lot of people are starting to talk about decentralization getting out of the cities working close to home having satellite offices i mean a lot of it i mean we, we're a lot of our assets are all of them are pretty much leased up. We're ninety nine percent occupied, so so we don't sort of have any leasing risk. But it's certainly sort of um, having the having those assets in the regions talks a lot to people not being so city centric, having to come in from the outer suburbs into the city every day. Mm. That maybe start to become a thing of the past. Yeah, um, and and having regional assets really works to that advantage. So the other piece of this conversation is basically so we talked about finding assets, right? Um, because I know like a lot of the listeners, mm. um, and I'm going through a property renovation at the mm. moment too. So I know like, <laughs> that's it, right? Like it's, it's, it sounds glamorous. People put it on the yep. TV. It sounds great. But anyone that's done one will know that it's not always that much fun. Yep. Um, so I, I, I guess, um, some of the things that I'm thinking about for you guys mm. is if people want to invest with you, that's a key point of your strategy, right? Because you have to get the funds to buy the properties. Yep. Because you've already, I think you've already committed to buying this, this yep. asset. So then you go and you talk to investors like our listeners who want to get exposure to property. How does a, um, how do, how do you find that any of the Castle Rock funds sit within a portfolio? Because it's obviously, I'm thinking like income, right? Mm. Like, is it like alternative income? Is it in the, the fixed income bucket? Like taking some of that when you speak to people? Is that what they're thinking? Yeah, I think honestly, it's it's exposure to commercial property and exposure to uh, income generating property. It's probably not for capital, big capital growth. Although, the housing property trust has done really well over its time. We've turned a dollar into a dollar thirty six, which has been yeah. really, really, really good. Um, but that's not its main focus. Its main focus is just that that steady 
um, income stream yep. that's derived from from the tenants from the for the tenants paying rent. Yep. Um, yeah. I guess it's really up to the the advisors really to sort of determine oh, where it sits sure. within within the, yep. their portfolios. Um, but we're we're just always about just generating a good solid income return. Yeah. Um, ha- the one the, back to finding a property then. How do you put a value on a property? So, you know, I talk to a lot of people about this. Mm. I know people who are property valuers who do residential properties. Um, but how do you find something like it's the Icon building in Ipswich? Icon in Ipswich, yeah. 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 How do you put a value on that? Did you is it comparable sales? Do you use things like capitalization rates? Like how are you working out what is a good price to pay? Yeah, I think from a like a really basic starting point is just the cap rates. What's yep. what's the market paying for cap rates at the moment for these types of assets? So what does that mean? Like, can you break down the cap rate and just what it means for um, people who may be new to property? Yeah. So uh, essentially, capitalization rate might be uh, for if we talk about um, some core assets say in the city at the moment, then the cap rate might be four percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll get the current passing income for that, the net passing income for that property, divided by four percent, being the cap rate, um, gives you your the value of the building. Yeah, right. Um, so you can basically say, if I buy this building for $100 million, I'm going to get a 4% return yep. on that asset. It's really sort of a, a really so bare bones. It's like bones. an expected rate of return kind of thing. Yeah, yep. a really yep. bare bones sort of look at it. Um, we look at it uh, quite a bit more detail than that. Yeah, um, sure. We start to think about what's the actual asset worth from a replacement point of view. We can, we've got to look at it from that. Yep. Uh, we look at it from, okay, the, the current income for this building sitting at X, what would the market lease that building for if it was leased up today? Yeah. Um, is there any difference between the current income rate and the expected income rate in the marketplace today? Um, and does it have any effect on on the value of the building going forward? So if if the building is, um, pay, if the tenant's paying more rent than what the market may be expecting for an asset like that, then we we'll look at okay, what what's the expected income for that building and apply a cap rate to that. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and run the net present value of the over rent that we call it. Okay. Um, for the next, say, five or 10 years that, that the tenant's in there for. How, um, how does, so I, I, I'm guessing you're, you're thinking about this. Like a lot of people talk about inflation and leasing in 2021. That's been a, a, you know, a topic that people talk about because with inflation <laughs> comes the, the prospect of rising rates. Interest rates, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you think about rates with respect to just all the portfolio, I guess, in general? Yeah. We, we do a fair bit of work in, in trying to understand where rates are going. Yeah. Can anyone predict it? I, don't, I doubt it, but yeah. we can sort of use our best guess. Um, we, we certainly do believe we're in a, a very low income, uh, interest rate environment at the moment. Yep. Um, is it going to hang around for the next 10 years? I mean, no, but, but it'll start, to, we think, start to climb in the next three or four years. Yep. Um, and, and it'll go up slowly. And there's a few things that need to happen before that, before that occurs with, um, uh, income, um, yep. for people rising with the yeah, wages growth. Wages yep. growth start to see a bit more of that happening. Um, but I think it's fairly steady, uh, interest rates environment at the moment. Yep. Um, but look like we'll start to increase, you know, soon. Yeah. And does, um, from a leasing perspective, mm. do you build, uh, like in a lot of the contracts you have, are they built in to increase at you know, certain increments? Is that yep. loosely how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So if, if we start up a brand new leasing, 
uh, deal with, with one of our tenants, it'll have um, either CPI-based increases every year, so that might increase at the same rate as, uh, same rate as CPI yep. um, in that particular area, or we might have fixed increases. So a lot of our buildings are 3.5% fixed increases every year, um, so the rent just keeps climbing. Um, yep. During, during that period, at the end of a lease term, there may be, um, a market rent review yep. where the, where, um, the tenant and the landlord will go to the marketplace and go, okay, what is the market rate for that particular office space in that particular town? Yep. Um, that's a big process and one that we've been really working hard at to make sure that the value of these assets, given a lot of, a lot of the times our buildings are some of the best in the, in those regional areas, there's no comparable evidence for that level of um, office mm. accommodation in in those spaces, so we can't sort of go and have a look at the local accountant's office, for example, local lawyer's office, because it's these just completely different level of building. Um, so we start to compare it against other similar assets in in different locations. Mm. So in that is that respect. I mean, if you're building in three point five percent, then I mean that's above well above interest rates at the moment, right? Yep. And CPI. Um, and 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 two, if you have like the linkage. With um, CPI, yeah, it's pretty much like a floating rate, um, yeah. effectively. Because I'm just thinking in terms of like, so again, I'm putting on my like portfolio management hat here mm. and thinking in terms of like what piece of the pie kind of does this still Slot share from? It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, a lot of those further up the risk curve listed instruments are actually probably offering a lower return mm. than something like this. Yeah. Um, so. When you think about this, because there's a, there's a number stated um, when some some of the stuff you've done previously, and I, and I know a lot of our listeners will have experience with things like Center Group, um, BWP, those mm. things. Um, when you look at an asset or even the fund in general, ha- how do you calculate indicative returns? Because um, I think was it is it seven percent? Am I mistaken there? Yeah, seven point two percent. So that's the indicative forward yield. Is that the way you think about it? Yeah, correct. So yeah. for financial year twenty one twenty two, yeah, the predicted return based on the modelling that we've done so far, um, the modelling we do every day yeah. is seven point two percent. Yeah. Uh, if you put your if you put your dollar in today, yeah. Um, we we look at we, we've got a long term whale for our fund weighted average lease expiry. Yeah. And that's derived through taking all the leases inside the fund and taking the average expiry of all those leases. And depending on if it's, if it's a really big lease, say for the, what, the building in Ipswich where there's, uh, 17,000 odd square meters, um, that obviously has a bigger weighting than a smaller asset that like we've got in, in Melton, for example, it's only 800 square meters. Yeah, right. Um, so we work out our whale at the moment sitting at 7.8 years. Uh, which is quite a healthy whale. So, so we know that we've got guaranteed income at this level for about 7.8 years. Um, and we run that through our, our cash flows and, um, work through all of our outgoings, all of our expenses and out the bottom pops out a, a predicted return. There's always a little bit of, um, fat in that to make sure that, you know, if there's any issues with any of the assets, we might need to replace the air conditioning or, or, you know, replace mm. some, some services with inside the assets. Got a bit, always a bit of room for that. Um, but, but we generally try to, push out as much as we can to our investors. Mm. Um, yeah, because, I, 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 I mean, you, you don't often see things with a seven in front of it um, <laughs> these days. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And so I guess one of the things that um, <clears throat> it would be remiss of me not to ask is um, like about risk. So how do you think about like leasing risk across the portfolio? Because the Ipswich property 
is, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest property. Biggest asset, yeah. yeah, and it's in the biggest fund, which is Oslink Property Trust Number Two. Correct. Um, how do you think about across the whole portfolio? Because if you invest in the fund today, you're getting exposure to everything. Um, how do you think about concentration risk with regard to like uh, tenants and yeah. who pays the bills? Yeah, correct. How do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that's our job is to continue to diversify this fund as much as we can. And that's been a, a, the mandate for the fund from day one is to continue to grow it and diversify it as much as mm. we can. Um, look, we acknowledge we've got about 60% of our income derived from the Queensland state government at the moment. It's something that we look at pretty closely. Um, so we look at those assets and go, okay, how many, how many different tenants, different departments are inside that building? Is it one or is it, is it many? Yeah. Um, and then we start to think about the, the leasing risk going forward for those assets. How long are we predicting the government to stay inside that asset? Are they likely to move? Um, so, so that's all part of the, part of the thinking process, um, yeah. when, when assessing them. Because traditionally, or at least in the past, mm. yeah, with Centrelink, um, going back to those days, I think you started with like federal government. Yep. And now you've got a lot of state government exposure too, right? Correct. Yeah. Imagine yep. they're pretty good tenants though. They're, they're great tenants. Yeah. Honestly. Like, you yeah, know, right, okay. and, and I, and I think, you know, working closely with them, they can be a bit fickle yeah. and they can be a bit, um, they can, you know, they, they can demand a lot from the asset, which is good. You know, you end up with the best asset in those, in those particular areas. Yeah. Um, we were speaking about Broken Hill before. Yeah. Okay. Like office is, is one of the best office buildings in Broken Hill. The government are in there and, and they demand that, that level of yeah. service and that level of asset. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think it's a, there's, a, there's one more question that I have around, mm. which is, um, again, one of the reasons that we, uh, are catching up to do this is, um, how you go about raising capital in a, post-COVID world or even, you know, in some parts of the country as we record this, they're in lockdown. Mm. How do you, how do you, has it changed, you know, people's perception towards property or has it got better or worse? Like, what it, are you seeing? You know, it's funny, like we, we, when the pandemic first came in, in sort of, you know, January last year, February last year, we went out for a cap raise then. Yeah. And that was to, to, at that point in time, that was our biggest cap raise um, that we'd ventured out on. And we had to close it early because there was that many people rushing to it to just put their money in something that, you know, in some ways we talk about resembling government bonds. Yeah. You know, like it's government paying, paying the rent. They're the tenant. They've got the leasehold and they've got long-term leases. So yeah, right. Yeah. We, we found a lot of people chasing just that security, put it somewhere that, that we know that's going to get a return. Yeah. Um, um, at the moment, we've been working through a close network of people. We've got a lot of friends and family who invest with us, and the word just starts to spread that, hey, get, get involved in this asset. Um, a lot of sort of referrals from existing investors is going out into the marketplace. Hey, give these guys a call and, and, and get in there. Um, we do a lot of work in our AGMs too. We, we normally do a, a roadshow. Yep. We go and visit all of our, all of our investors and, and, you know, have a beer with them and, and catch up and we can sort of talk about what's going on with the fund and, and, and referrals has been a big part of it. Um, yeah, right. Of our cap raise. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, during COVID, a lot of people were kind of losing their shirts thinking what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of went for, for those people, this is going completely the other direction. Mm. Right. Um, okay. So this has been a really good conversation, really good primer. Um, and I th- thanks for educating us yeah. because thanks for having me. Th- yeah, it's kind of new for me. Yeah. Um, but if people want to get in contact with you or to find out more about, you know, getting involved in investing, how do they do that? Sure thing. Jump on our website, 
www.castlerockproperty.com.au. Yeah. Um, there's some information on there about the Osling Property Trust number one and the Osling Property Trust number two. Yeah. Have a flick through the different assets we've got in, the, in both different funds. Um, there's a button on there they can click to register for more information and receive a copy of our PDS. Our PDS is a very detailed document goes through all the, uh, all the ins and outs of, of the investment mm-hmm. and uh, all the different risks associated with it. Um, and that will be available for people um, as of today. Cool. Um, first, first of July. First of July. Yeah, wonderful. Which is great. Great, mate. Well, thanks for coming in and having a chat with me. Thanks so much for having me.